back. And as they're doing that, let me encourage you, if you brought your uh, Bible with you or have it on some sort of device, if you would uh, open up to Luke chapter 2. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, that's what we'll be today, Luke chapter 1. In a Christmas series that we're calling Out of Darkness, and we kind of set the stage for that even last week as we talked about... um, the setting in which the promised uh, Messiah uh, was prophesied to come. And it was a dark time for sure. Some of the words of these Christmas songs, even the one we just sang, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, is such a posture of our heart as we cry out with thousands of years of believers before us that very thing, Come, Lord Jesus. And that was certainly what... The people of Israel were praying as Isaiah prophesied, as the Assyrians were next to them and would soon come and conquer them and rule over them. And all they had was the prayer, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. The phrase from, O holy night, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. It's this picture of the weariness of the world being able to rejoice because there is coming a day when light would really not just shine from heaven but would be indeed with us. So last week our focus was on longing. This deep ache in the heart for, the, for things to be different. When we looked at Isaiah's prophecy about a savior who would come as a wonderful counselor, an everlasting father and the prince of peace. He says in chapter 9 and verse 1, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. God promises that someday the darkness will indeed end. In verse 2, these people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the Land of deep darkness on them a light has shone. And there's this longing, this ache in the heart for things to be different. But today we're going to move from longing to anticipation. Anticipation as the actual day draws closer. If longing is this hard to describe hopeful feeling that something someday will be different then anticipation is this on the edge of your seat, I can't sleep tonight because it's getting closer and closer. Longing could be the desire in a little girl's heart to one day be married. That's longing, man, I can't wait for that as little girls sometimes do and plan and dream about the, well, the wedding that they would have. But anticipation is the rehearsal dinner. It's the night before, it's thinking, man, this is really happening. If longing is this, ache in a woman's heart to have a child but it moves to anticipation in that third trimester of thinking man this is coming close and this is what we see in the people of this is what we see in God's people and the people of Israel in this time for I mean since Genesis we could go all the way back to Genesis where there's this promised seed that would one day come and heal the brokenness that sin had ushered into the world. 
And so they longed for this and they prayed for this. And every generation just thought, man, it's just around the corner. But all we can do right now is pray, come Messiah, come. And the prayer of God's people have always been that, come Messiah, come. Come thou long expected Jesus. It's a phrase we use even around our house. Even now, come Lord Jesus, come. When we see the evil around us and we pray, come Lord Jesus. We know because of God's promise and we live in between this first and second advent that God's fulfillment of making everything right and everything new and restoring everything is just over the horizon. And when Jesus comes, he will certainly do that. And the government that's upon his shoulders, Isaiah says, there will be no end. And he will be this indeed prince of peace. He will bring peace. As we reflect back just for a moment on the longing and hope and anticipation that's been building in the lives of God's people from the days of Samuel. The event was predicted by the prophets and anticipated by the people. King David sang about the coming Messiah in the Psalms. And Isaiah wrote poetry about a Savior, this Prince of Peace. And Jeremiah would preach in the streets about the righteous branch that would sprout up from David's line. The Israelites had been waiting centuries for a powerful liberator, redeemer, healer. They were longing for this great sign from God. And then in today's passage, it breaks through. It moves from longing to anticipation. They can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's not just a pipe dream anymore that you're going to pass down from generation to generation that God, the creator God, said one day, He's going to come and make things right. And they can begin to see it. Read with me, starting in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. It's a long passage. I want to read through uh, the whole thing through verse 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. You see here quickly that these both come from a ministry family. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn the incense. And a whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, as most people were when they saw the angel. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will call his name John. And you have joy and Gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of the wisdom to the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
And Zechariah said to the angel, well, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I, I do kind of like how he said this. He doesn't, call his, he doesn't call his wife old. He says, I'm old. My wife's advanced in years. He had, he had something going for him. He knew something. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. This is God's word. Pray with me, please. God, I pray as we read your word, as... Your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide joint and marrow, soul and spirit. Lord, I pray that it's at work even in our own hearts. We all love the nostalgia of this season, but let us not miss the point of Christmas. And not just that we would cognitively, cognitively know the point, but it would rest heavy on our hearts. It would bring encouragement to us. It would realign our priorities. Yet even today would bring salvation to those who place their trust in the beautiful story of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is an incredible story, so much here, and we don't have time to go into all of this, but... Zechariah, as you see here, was an old man, and he was a priest, and he had married Elizabeth, who was daughter of Aaron, remember Aaron and Moses, and this was this ministry family, and we see from the text that they had wanted a child and prayed, evidently, for a child for many years, and yet never received one. Now, Zechariah... In this priestly duty, the Super Bowl of being a priest was to be able to go and offer incense before the Lord in the temple. And by lot, they would pick these guys and uh, they would pick three of them. And two of the priests would go in earlier and they would prepare, right, the sticks and the kindling for the fire. They would prepare everything that needed to be prepared for the, for the worship, for the burning of the incense, and, and the position. I mean, if you got this, you got it once in a lifetime. It was the most incredible thing. It was to actually burn the incense before the Lord. And they did this really as an outward sign of our prayers that would rise up to heaven. And some Traditions still do this today of the burning of the incense. And as you would see the smoke rising, it's supposed to direct our eyes up that we pray not to people, but we pray and our prayers go up unto the Lord. And so as they prepared themselves, two of the priests would go before, that would go to prepare the things, and then they would be followed by the one that is to burn the incense. And this lot happened to fall on Zechariah. 
And he would have been so ready for this duty. It would have been incredible. He would have prepared his mind and his heart. He would have been thinking and praying. He would have been rehearsing the prayers that he's actually going to pray for the nation of Israel as he goes into this place. Probably for the deliverance, for their freedom from Rome. Probably for the leaders and the Pharisees and Sadducees of the day that they would be good leaders. And as he's rehearsing these things, as you can see it, he goes into the temple. And there's multitudes, it says, of people outside praying at the hour of incense. They had gathered there early. They would worship as the priests went in. They would worship as the priests came out. The horns would blow. It was this incredible spiritual thing that they would take place of and there's Zechariah and he's in there and he's all alone only he could go to that next step and he sees an angel not these little cuddly cupid angels that you see at Valentine's Day I love as the angels appear it scares everyone to death these are the warriors of the Lord Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Zechariah was promised that a son would come, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for Christ. And Elizabeth, when she would later hear this story that we're not going to look at in detail today, she anticipated the coming of a Savior. So when Zechariah came and even told her that she would be pregnant, it was a surprise and yet it had been anticipated. It was something wondrously unexpected and yet she was prepared. She had anticipated something miraculous just as the prophets had said. And here begins this moment or this shift of posture in their hearts as they heard from God again. Zechariah would later say in his song that's later in this very chapter, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. This out of darkness, that they felt like they were in the grips of darkness, and yet there's this promise that the light is coming, this anticipation would rise in them. Remember, it had been 400 years since they had heard the word of the Lord through Micah. And the last thing they hear from Micah is that as the Messiah comes, he will turn the hearts of their children to their fathers. That's the promise. And yet we see this happening in the person of John. And he will turn, in verse 16, many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Now we read that and we're like, oh, you know, that's okay. When they would have heard that John was coming in the spirit of Elijah, it would have been incredible. For you cowboys out there, it's the, you know, it's, Zorro meets Clint Eastwood almost. It's, you know, it's, this is Elijah for the basketball players. It's LeBron and MJ. 
and Kobe mixed in one. It's, this is who Elijah was. And he, he did the most incredible things, outrunning chariots, speaking truth to Jezebel, praying that there would be a drought in the land and then praying that there wouldn't be a drought anymore. You remember that? And him and his servant as he prayed, praying such bold prayers. And this is the promise the children of Israel would see John the Baptist come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. I love too how he just couldn't believe it. He says, how, how can this be? And it seems like Gabriel's a bit offended. What do you mean, how can this be? I'm an angel of the Lord. And then because of his doubts, he can't speak. For nine months, he just replays this scene in his mind again and again. And he thinks about what his son's going to be like. And how all this, as he's imagining, will actually come to place. Four hundred years of ritual and sacrifice without one word from God until now. And this is often how the promises of God happen in our lives. They don't normally happen the way that we would expect. I shared a bit of this. There's a way that I expect God to work in my life. I won't necessarily speak for you, but there's a way that I expect God to work in my life. I expect that God is going to choose the shortest distance. We talked about that last week. I expect that God will lay all his cards on the table, that he will seek my input and opinions, that he will pick the path of least resistance, that he, he will work in the most obvious way. I expect that he would come in and eliminate every hurdle in his path. And I expect that God will do it quickly. And yet most times through scripture, that is not how God works. We talked maybe a couple years ago about the stages of faith, that you have a dream or the vision or the promise, and you're longing and anticipating for that, but then there's delay and difficulty and dead end. There's discouragement. All those things happen normally before the promise is actually accomplished or the deliverance actually comes. I've got three quick points for us today. One is that God is at work in the waiting. If you haven't noticed yet, there's no hurrying God or his plan. So the people prayed and they sang songs about deliverance and rescue and the goodness of God and they centered their hearts on the promises of God. But even the strongest go, grow weary and 400 years of no word for God, from God until the day in this temple Certainly the people have grown weary. And yet the fathers are still passing down onto their sons and their daughters the promises of God that had been promised decades, centuries ago that God is good and he delivered our ancestors out of the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt and he worked mightily to take us across the Red Sea on dry land and he fed us with bread from heaven and he delivered us into this promised land and he promises ultimate deliverance again and there's a day that he's going to come and institute real peace, the coming Messiah. And so they as a family would think about those promises of God and they would long for them in their heart and they would anticipate maybe, maybe in my lifetime I will get to see it. But 
And they would encourage each other that God is infinite wisdom and absolute love and he makes all decisions for our good and his glory and we would do the same as we remind each other maybe you're waiting on something and God has promised you something and you see the goodness of God and yet it's not coming into your life as you had expected to and you're grieving the life that you wish you had had. Yet all the while holding on to the promises of God and knowing that God has promised that he is going to work everything for your good. And friends, you can trust him today. He is going to work for your good and for his glory. When you can't hear his voice speaking, you've got to trust that his hands are working. That God is never late and never early. He's on time. He doesn't fall asleep at the will. He doesn't forget to hear your prayers. Please don't confuse with God not acting as you would want to, as you would want him to, with the fact that God doesn't love you and want the best for you. He does. God is at work in the waiting. Second is this question, who are we becoming while we wait? Who we become while we wait is just as important as what we're waiting for. Who we become while we wait. 2020 has been the craziest year. And most of us just want it to go away. And we say, man, I cannot wait till 2020 is over. But you know, the virus doesn't know when it turns into 2021. It's not like a magical thing. We're like, 2021, yes. Oh, wait, everything's still here. Oh, wait, our world is still just as broken as it ever has been. Oh, wait, sin and evil still abounds on everywhere that we look. Oh, the brokenness of our world is still more apparent and seemingly more and more apparent. And our world is turning their hearts away from God. None of that's changing on New Year's Eve. Unless the great God of the universe would rend the heavens and come down. And he would bring revival to the church first. And I feel like 2020, in a sense, has been this test of us given the chance of becoming something in 2020. Not just wishing the pain away, not wishing, wishing the grief away, and it's been real pain and real grief. Yet we have real hope, and God wants to do something in our own hearts. And he still wants to do something in our hearts. Not just to, for the pain to disappear. And I pray that the virus goes away, and I pray the grieving stops. But who we become, why we wait, is just as important as what we're waiting for. We see this in Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were the ones that were waiting. Their whole life was just this promise, and things got darker and darker as Rome got more and more power, and their leaders became more and more corrupt. It says in verse 6, who are they becoming? It says in verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were becoming someone. They were becoming molded into God's image. They were reflecting the image of God in and through their lives as they were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments. Friends, you can become something great while you wait. We are in this in between the promise of God and the fulfillment of that promise, and sometimes the silence feels deafening. And in the silence, if you're not careful, the enemy speaks the loudest. In the silence, 
while you're waiting, if you're not careful, the enemy's going to come and he's going to sow little seeds of doubt and discouragement in your mind. Just as he did in creation. What is the very first thing he said to Eve? Did, did God really say that? Begin to sow seeds of doubt that God is holding out on you. and He doesn't really mean what he says. And there's a shortcut to a better way that he would offer. And the enemy does that to us today as well. While in this zone of silence, it can feel so empty. And it's those times, again, the enemy creeps in and begins to sabotage the promises of God. The identity that we carry around as sons and daughters of the king. And our job, church, is to fill the silence with voices that reinforce our trust in God and remind us of the promises of God. This is what I encourage our church planters when I talked to them last week. You got to watch the inputs. Watch what you're putting in. God's job, only God can do. Yet God has given us the freedom to pursue him, to seek him with all of our hearts, to watch the inputs. And I think that would be my question for us, church. What, what, are, you in, what are the inputs? What are you, what are you feeling, uh, filling your, your mind and your heart and your soul with while you wait in the silence? There's a few encouragements that I get even from this passage and some from my own life. One would be prayer. The angel says, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Sometimes we pray for things for so long. We pray for salvation of a spouse or child. We pray for calling the ministry. We pray that God would bring a special spouse to us. We pray for a child. But after years of heartfelt prayer, we give up out of discouragement. But Zechariah and Elizabeth probably prayed this passionate prayer for her son for decades but gave up some time ago. And they stopped believing God for so much anymore. In church, if we're not careful, we'll slip into this, in this place. We begin sometimes in the smallest of ways to doubt the love of God and care, his care for us. But God loves us and his care never stops. Zechariah's reaction to the angel's promise was probably thinking, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I didn't pray for a son. We're old, you know. I, I gave up on that prayer a long time ago. I'm praying for the salvation of Israel. I'm praying that God will send this promised Messiah. What Zechariah didn't know is both of those prayers were being answered at once. And God was going to use this miracle baby boy to be a part of sending the Messiah. And he had no idea that God would answer the two greatest desires of his heart at once. Maybe even hadn't given up on the idea of being a dad. It was a hope that was crushed over the years of disappointment. But God hadn't given up. Friends, can I tell you that God hears your prayers? Please don't give up. Just because you prayed for a year or a week or a decade or 30 years or 40 years, please don't give up. Jesus would teach us about prayer. The illustration of the 
persistent widow who kept asking and kept knocking. And he would say, that's not prayer is. You just, just keep asking and keep knocking. One of those great inputs is prayer. One of those great inputs is the word of God. And not just reading it as duty, but as delight. Psalms 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. Maybe your translation says, in his word, I trust. It's the very word and promises of God. They're the most secure things that, you, that, this, that we could even put our hand. That, that they're, where, they're the place that we can put all of our hope and trust. The very word of God, the promises of God. And there's more. There's worship. God puts a new song in our heart. This may be the one that's most powerful in my life, and it works in conjunction with those other ones, but you need to immerse yourself in real gospel community. You need to have a few friends that love you and love the Lord. And when you can't see the promises of God even being near reality, your good friends can come alongside you and they can speak those promises over you and they can remind you that God is faithful and that he doesn't give up. You know, people who really walk with God, who will fight for God's promises in your life when you want to bail. Those who come alongside when you want to give up and they meet a felt need in your life, but they meet even more importantly spiritual needs. They intercede on your behalf. You know, your people. I think you need at least three friends in your life. This is out of a lesson out of David's life, and we don't have time to go back there and get into it, but David had these three friends in his life. He had someone who knew the word of God. And when David's life began to go off course, someone would confront him. The prophet would confront him with the word of God. David, this is not what the word of God says. You need someone in your life who knows the word of God and knows you. And when you're departing from the word of God, they can bring the word of God and apply it and say, man, I love you, Luke. But some of the things you're saying and some of the things you're doing and what I see in your life of where you put your hope, you're off, bro. This is what the word of God says, the most trustworthy thing we have. You need someone that knows the word of God. You need someone that knows the heart of God. These are the people that intercede for you, that can... Have we talked about this before? These are the people that you really want praying for you. They know the heart of God and they know your heart. And they're able to intercede with you and pray with you. And then you need a third friend. You need someone who will go to fight the battle with you. The war in front of you who will link arms and says, okay, what's, what's the hill we're taking today? I really believe in this crazy tough year that we've had, those that are still thriving, that are growing deep roots, have a couple of Bible-believing, walking with God friends who will not let them go off course. Said, if you want to do this with your life, you know, you go ahead and do it, but you're going to have to step over me to do it. And even after you step over me, man, I'm going to be pulling you back. So many of us got so discouraged and so disoriented during the pandemic because our regular rhythms of community and being in the word were taken away. 
Who we become while we wait is just as important as what we're waiting for. And here's my last point, and we'll wrap up. Is that God is with us in the waiting. God is with us in the waiting. Zechariah and Elizabeth were not without God. God was with them in the waiting. He had always been with them. The people of Israel who were captured by the Assyrians and captured by the Babylonians and then overtaken by the Romans. God never left them. I love that little phrase. Way back when the people of God were imprisoned and enslaved by Egypt and there's this little word. It says, and God knew. God was with them. He was working with them. God is with us in the waiting. And this is what I love about Christmas time is it's so clear to us is that while we wait on God, we wait with God. I love how Matthew talks about this as he's introducing who Jesus would be. He will be Emmanuel. He says in verse 21, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I know, friends, it's hard to see sometimes, but the enemy doesn't take vacation at Christmas. No, he's near and he's present and he's still trying to steal your joy to divert your hope on something that's not lasting, something that doesn't matter in the end. He's working overtime to convince you that God's not good, that he doesn't keep his promises, that you aren't good enough and that you're alone. And those things couldn't be further from the truth. The Christmas story reminds us once again that all of those are lies from the enemy. They're not true. God is good. Just look at Jesus. He does keep his promises. Just look at Jesus. In your own strength, you'll never be good enough. But look at Jesus. Jesus invites us to trust his provision on our behalf. In him, the scripture says, you are the righteousness of God. And finally, you'll never be alone. You might face some dark times. And many of you have, and many of you will. At the church planter connection event we had just a couple weeks ago, I sat down with a pastor friend of mine. His name's Keith. Keith got word just a month ago that he's got cancer again. This is the seventh time. He's got cancer and radiation, chemo, and going in remission, and they'll think he's all good, and then it came back, and then it came back. And when he got it the sixth time, they said, you know what, we're going to pull out all stops. This seems to be aggressive. It keeps coming back. We're going to do a bone marrow transplant. He was in the hospital for multiple months. His oncologist says, Keith, I think we got it this time, bud. I mean, we reset everything in your body. I think, I think we got it. And a month ago, it goes into a, for a routine scan and it's back. Seventh time. And here's this guy, he's pastoring this little small church. 
is so small that he's leading the music and preaching and leading the youth. Some other guy at our table was complaining that they had to preach two services. And Keith was like, oh, well, I go in and lead the youth and then, and then I get there and I lead the, lead the music and then I, then I preach. His heart just burning for God. We wept at our little table and we prayed. And Keith said, you know what? I said, Keith's not married, has no kids. His elderly parents can't come with him to these things. He's on this journey alone. And I asked him at the table, Keith, how do you do this? And just as confident as he could be, oh, God's with me. We talk in the waiting room. When they're running the IVs, we just... God's with me. And what a reminder. God is with you. The gospel writer Matthew wanted you to get this. So he starts his letter with this promise that he will be Emmanuel, God with us. And he also ends the book with this. If you remember in the Great Commission, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He bookends the love letter from God to us by reminding us, hey, friends, you're going to want to forget and all the darkness and temptation and sin and discouragement. You're, you're going to think you're alone. But I want you to remember, you're not alone. God is with you. I talk to my kids about this all the time. God didn't promise us a comfortable life. He didn't promise us riches. He didn't promise us a life of ease. But you know what he did promise? that he was coming again one day to receive us and that he would never, ever leave us. We're gonna pray for a second and then sing. Jason's gonna lead us in communion here in a minute, but I just want you to be just right where you are. Would you just talk to God? I don't know the burdens you came in here carrying. I don't know the lies the enemy has sown into your mind your heart. I don't know if he's been spreading those lies so long that it's not just a toehold. It's become a chokehold. It's become a stronghold in your life. And you just need to hear the father sing over you again to hear his words that you are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. For some of you who don't know this love of God, today's a day where I'm inviting you, the Holy Spirit's wooing you to take a step of faith, to cross this line of faith and place your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I pray that you would do that this morning. Others of us have seen the light and we know the light and we're following the light. And it's time to spread the light. God, you know our hearts and you know what we're dealing with. There's no posing to you, no charades, no sweeping things under the rug. You know it all. You invite us to come close, to cast our anxieties 
on you because you care for us to forsake our sin and follow you because you offer us the better life and I pray that we take a step of faith this morning it's in Jesus mighty name that we pray amen I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone Phil's gonna